I'm not doing anything right today. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Selah, that's Psalm 84.4. If you have any prayer requests, fill out the slip in the bulletin and pass it in during the offering, and we'll pray for you today and throughout the week as well. For the week, a number of Bible studies. There'll be no children's Sunday school today. Attributes of God is the subject for the adult Bible study in 303 at 1030. IHOP Bible study is on Monday at 730 in the morning. And the women's study, it'll be tomorrow at Panera's. And that's the one in uh, over here. Can't remember the name of that place. But it's Monday at 6 o'clock. Men's Tuesday study is here in the sanctuary at 7.30 on Tuesday. And then the Manshed Bible studies Wednesday and Friday at 6 a.m. Every week, of course, we have the shelf in the lobby for you to drop off food donations. I notice it's blank today, which means it's been taken down to the Wichita ITC, who partners with us. Our other partner ministry is Treehouse. That's extra change for the needs of mothers uh, and their babies. Once again, Psalm 121, verse 1, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, from where shall my help come? Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty was written by Reginald Heber in 1826. John B. Dykes set this great hymn to music in 1861. The song is based on Revelation 4, verse 8, which says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. As you're able, please rise and join us as we open our worship. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to Oh, 
seated. Sin is an inevitable part of the nature of humanity. However, forgiveness is an inevitable part of the nature of God. When we come humbly before God, the mercy and grace of our everlasting Father are offered to us. Friends, let us come together in a time of confession using the bidding method as I lay out the, uh, the lines that are on the screen. Then I will pause and we each of us offer our own uh, confessions at that time. Father God, we come confessing our sin to you. Forgive us for the times our patience ran out and we spoke harshly. Forgive the bad attitudes we had when someone was slow and held us up. Forgive our frustrated anger when others redo the same actions after we told them it's the source of their pain. Lord, give us patience with others and ourselves. Lord, give us understanding to those who don't meet our expectations. Lord, give us restraint and wisdom in our communication. Thank you for the power to be different through your Holy Spirit and for giving us in Jesus' blood, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this week comes from Titus 3, verses 4 to 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Our guidelines for living, Colossians 3.1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, where he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me All my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up 
until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good, with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your good, your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful, and all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. When I look into your holiness, when I gaze into your loveliness, when all things that surround become shadows in the light of you, 
could be to trace the cost for sharing life with one who's lost. For his love our hearts can feel, all the grief there, they must hear the words of life, only we can share, people need the People need the Lord At the end of broken dreams He's the open door People need the Lord People need the Lord Give our lives for people need the Wonderful Peace was written by W.D. Cornell sometime in the 19th century. Two scriptures which could form the basis for this hymn are Isaiah 26.3, which says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. The second verse is Philippians 4.7, which says, And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The chorus fits perfectly with these scriptures. Peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above, sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that wonderful peace that you give us, the peace that passes all understanding. When we come to know you and to experience you in a whole rich new way, and there's so many of the blessings, both eternal life and good life here. We can't praise you enough and give you thanks. But we thank you, God, for being such a loving and caring God. Please accept these gifts as a token of the blessings that we're so grateful for in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight Rolls a melody sweeter than song And celestial strains it unceasingly falls For my soul like an infinite calm Peace, peace, wonderful peace Coming down from the Father above Sweep over 
Spirit forever, I pray, in fathomless billows of love. I am resting tonight in this wonderful peace, resting sweetly in Jesus' control. For I'm kept from all danger by night and by day, and His glory is flooding my soul. Peace, peace, wonderful peace, coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my spirit forever, I pray, in the fathomless billows of Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Our great Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for that wonderful peace that we have. Talk about it as the peace that passes all understanding. And it is so beautiful to rest in that. To find the great comfort that we have just knowing you. And knowing what you've provided for us and how you are by our side every day. We never have to fear or feel threatened because we know we have your peace no matter what befalls. I thank you, God, for the privilege that we have to live in this free country and to express our faith, to worship you here this morning and to sing our praises to you and confess our sin and also realize that you are forgiven because of your wonderful gift to us. I pray, Father God, that you'll be with those that we know that are struggling right now, and especially as the heat starts picking up, for people that are homeless, for some of the people that are struggling, Lord, to make a, even a house payment or a, a bill for their electric energy. I pray, Father God, that you give us the ability to love and care for the people who need and as Jesus has been reminding us, not only the needs physically, but how impoverished we are spiritually. And how much we all need you, God, and Jesus Christ to forgive us and give us the new life. I pray for our country, God. There are many different things going on. There's some scary forces at work. There are people who are actually striving to pull down the Judeo-Christian heritages that this society and Western civilization was built on, that made it a great nation and now are trying to invoke a game plan that is reaching havoc on our society. I pray, Father God, that you will stop it. I know we can help, and Father, I know you're going to use us, but Lord, we need your power to stop this advancement. That this evil is being predicated not only on the citizens of this country, but also on the little children. 
I just pray, Father God, for your power to raise up people in government, raise up people in education, raise up people, your people, that will stand up and walk tall and say no. These are wrong. We can't stand for it. Give us as Christians courage, backbone, toughness, that we can withstand the assaults not only media and TV and all that other stuff, but the assault of the devil himself and the evil that's being predicated in our society, Lord Jesus. And we know that you have the power to put a stop to it and harness it. I pray for our president and our Congress that they will put their heads on straight and listen to your voice rather than greedy, selfish voices. I pray, Father God, too, that you'll give courts the backbone to say no and to stand for what is right. You're right. Not society's right, but you're right, God. I pray, Father, for our church as we continue to progress through this final separation from the Reformed Church and that our stand will be heard throughout our denomination, along with those other brothers and sisters who have left the denomination because of what we come to know that's so hurtful and worldly and not of you. I pray, Father God, for this body as we combine together to fight on all those levels, Lord, and help us not to fear. I pray also, too, for those that we know in our congregation that are in the battles for Bill Bannister, who's battling his disease and also now cancer. With his wife, Connie. For Lucille Townsley. For her health issues. And also Joyce Ragland and hers. And I pray also, too, for Karen, who's shut in. We continue to pick up our brother, Darrell, and his grief of the loss of his wife. I pray also, too, for our brother Howard, who's going to be going for surgery in the next couple of weeks. Guide the doctors. I pray also, too, for Everett Long, Jesus. Be with him in his health condition and that you will go before them and give them the doctors that he needs and bring healing. We praise you for Judy's leg being healed. I pray also, too, for my friend Todd and his heart. For his wife, Angie. And for Samantha Mumma and Jason Stevens and Jordan Ruckels, all these folks who are battling cancer, Jesus, I pray for their healing. I pray also for those that we know that are addicted. They're locked in the battle of addiction. Set them free, God. For Ryan, for Jordan, for David, for Eric, for Ricky, for Mitch. Set them free, Jesus, when they look to you and help them to really look to you and touch their hearts and give them the confidence and strength they need as they will beat the addiction because of your power. And I pray for these in our congregation today. The battlegrounds that they go into, both in their families, in their neighborhoods, their school districts, at work, with their neighbors. Just guide them and give them the strength they need. 
Give them as you promised in the Beatitudes that we can answer what needs to be answered in their lives and that as we see their brokenness in our world that we can give them the truth, which is you, Jesus. And now, Father, come to us. Our hearts need to be changed and we need to be open. We need more of you in our lives. Open that up to us as we study your scriptures today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're in an interesting time right now where with media is so prevalent. They have people called influencers, media influencers, that develop a group of people that are followers that is so big that people pay attention to them and see what they pick and choose as far as lines of clothing and all that. They're called social media influencers. I have a group of friends for fun. They started out with a wine testing program. Now, I'm not sure why they started with wine, but I, and I've questioned them how much they've consumed. But they wound up starting this podcast every week on, I think it's on Facebook or Twitter. But they have a huge following now because they taste wine and people really value what they say. In fact, it's become so wide they joke about it because they've been given free trips to Europe, to wine uh, villages and to places where these vineyards are, to California, and they're always invited back, especially when they develop a new line of wine. And they want to know their opinion and they dissect this drink. And what we see here is even the media giants. Tucker Carlson, who's left Fox, may be setting up a podcast. And he will make more money than when he was working for Fox. We have all these influencers out there. And you know what? Jesus called us to be influencers. Over the last 250 years in this country, maybe 220 years now, the church has been the influencer of society. You and I have been called to be the influencers. When the church in this country was developed, you look at the influence that the church had and the gospel of Jesus Christ had on our culture. It's spectacular. Because not only did Preachers go out and preach the gospel. But they did marvelous things for the world. Look at the hospitals that were started. Most of the hospitals were started early in this country and for a long time by the church. The Protestant churches, the Catholic churches. They were the ones who modeled what Jesus was when he went around and healed people. That's why we have hospitals like the Good Samaritan Hospital. Why is it that Via Christi has four hospitals in Wichita alone? Why was Wesley started? They were all hospitals that were started by Christians to bring healing to people's lives. Now, of course, Webb Road is full of hospitals, but they're specialist hospitals and they're no longer owned by the church. 
In fact, even the church hospitals are withdrawing because of lawsuit fear and losing their denominations. And some have been incorporated outside of the church. And the influence is not there anymore. And what we find here is same thing with colleges. <laughs> Out of the 108 colleges that were started first in this country, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, William and Mary, and the like. Out of 108 colleges first started in America, 106 of them were religious. You know what their purpose was? To train people in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To educate. I was knocked out when I listened and read the charter to Harvard when it was written in, in 1636. And it's not the Harvard I know today. Listen to what it says. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to do, consider well the main end of this life. To know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. That was it. Oh, where have we gone? Today, Jesus is calling you and me to be the influencers in our society. You and I making the difference as a corporate body in Jesus Christ and also as individuals. And you know, Jesus doesn't talk about highfalutin theological words. We find the Bible shares with us these concepts that theologians put together. But Jesus, when he teaches, he breaks it down to real life. Salt. Light. He talks about birds, grass, flowers. And he talks to us as his children. And today, he calls us, along with his disciples. And if you remember, the Sermon on the Mount really was not the sermon for the whole crowd that was there by Jesus, but it was for his 12 disciples' training ground. He pulls them aside, and he wants them to know who they were in Christ and what they were continuing to do. And so... He starts with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We know what that is. It's not financial poverty. He's talking about realizing our sinfulness and our depravity. That we need Jesus Christ to save us. And that the morning, and we see it on those Hallmark cards and all those wonderful grief cards... Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And it is comforting words, but that's not what he meant. He said, blessed are you who mourn over your sin. And how it devastates your life. And what it takes from you eternally. He talks about meekness that's not weakness, but it's actually the power of God on the harness. In our hearts. To be used at the right time. Well, today, Jesus comes to us with basically pointing out to two 
words of what we're to be. And if you remember last week, he made it very clear that when you're a disciple of Jesus, it ain't going to be a pansy walk. You need to be tough and trust him. Because if you're not trusting him, you're going to flounder and cause yourself a lot of grief. And what he says today to us, he says to us, you are the salt of the earth. He does not say, try to be the salt. He doesn't say, well, you should be the salt. He says, you very definitively and very instructively, we're the salt of the earth. What he's saying is we are the only people who can penetrate this society with good, truth, and the love of Christ. It's our job. And the metaphor that he uses about salt in Jesus' day, see, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have a GE in the back room. The way they could preserve their meat from it molding and getting horrific by rubbing salt that took away the moisture from in the meat and kept it from molding so they could keep it for a while. It was really the preservation. And this is what Jesus is saying to us today. You, like the salt, and the chemical reaction that it calls in our society, are the preservers of society. This is why we should be worried about politics. This is why we should be worried about what's being done in our schools to our kids. We're the preservers of society. We are the preservers from moral decay. In fact, what we see here, Jesus is talking about. We see it every day in our lives, don't we? And we wonder, where's going next? Some of you remember, I don't want to point anybody out here, but people who went to the movies to see back in 1939, this moving picture called Gone with the Wind. And when Rhett Butler used a curse word in the theater, the people in the theater went, oh. they could not believe they used that curse word. Now you go today to a movie <laughs> and you go and watch it. And some of them we need to just walk out on. I remember we as a couple went to a movie one time with another couple from our church. And we were sitting there and we were excited because it was about football. And we thought, oh, this is going to be a great movie. Especially the husband and I were really excited about it. 
I think we watched about a minute and a half, maybe three minutes of it most. And we looked at each other. We got up and walked out. Because of the nudity, because of the things that were being said, it was disgusting. And yet it was making money. I remember when my wife and I were back in New Jersey and we used to love Mork and Mindy's show. And we couldn't wait to get the new album out that Robin Williams had come out with. We listened to the first track of about two minutes. And if he did not use the F-bomb 14 times, I would be surprised. And yet this is what's impacting our society. This is what's impacting our children. That's why we got to get up and walk out of those movies. That's why we got to send letters to people and say, that's disgusting. And I know <laughs> we're going to be looked at as not very popular in culture. We're not already. We're labeled as narrow-minded, phobic, Bible-thumping fanatics. But our job is that we are the conscience of our nation. We're the conscience of our neighborhoods. Because we're the salt. You see, we're the purifiers. That's why the church is so important. And if the church doesn't do what the church is supposed to do, we're going to see this flood. And it is, the church has lost its power. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. In fact, it's joining groups. They're being disobedient to the scriptures. You see, we're supposed to be the valuable commodity for the world. Martin Luther King, the black activist from the 60s, said this, and he was right on target. The church is the conscience of our nation. When the church doesn't do its job and we hide or we don't speak out, there are people who will. And you see, we are supposed to add value to life. One of the things that salt was used in Jesus' culture is they paid soldiers by salt. And when if he was a lousy soldier, the phrase came out that we all know, he's not worth his salt. That's where it's from. That soldier's not worth his salt. And we know salt has, I think there's over 14,000 things that salt does. It can take candles and make them dripless. It can help when there's sores to bring cleansing. And healing. In fact, in the South, one of the reasons people are thinking that the Civil War was lost because the North, the, the Confederate soldiers were cut off in their supply lines from salt. And so they could not preserve their food, and the boots that they had were too tight. When they didn't rub salt in them, they would not be loose. And would cause blisters and whatnot. Food and shoes. I don't know if you ever look at art. One of the interesting things I learned in doing this sermon this week. 
Leonardo da Vinci painted what that beautiful portrait of Jesus in the Last Supper. And you know what's so interesting that I never knew? That in front of Judas is a salt shaker that spilled over. And what that means is that he was a shameful act of betrayal. Because you see, salt is used to make covenants. And he betrayed that covenant to the Lord. And in knocking it over, Da Vinci is sending us a little message of who he really was. You see, in the Bible, they made covenants with salt. That's how they made a covenant. And they both tasted the salt after the covenant was made, or the deal was made. The offerings in the Old Testament Leviticus were salted before they were offered. In fact, even Ezekiel speaks about babies being washed in salt because it cleans up any wounds they have. And it may sting for a while, but it keeps healing to those wounds when a baby's born. And today, Jesus is calling to us as Christians that we're the salt that impedes, that hinders, that inhibits retards, counters, are the obstacles to the decay in our society. And we're called to be that salt, to stop it, to stop the garbage that is undermining our world and our values in this country that were Judeo-Christian values. And as we know, salt was of great value. And what he's saying is, like Isaiah says to us, I love you because you're precious in the sight of the Lord. And we are precious to our Lord and we're valuable and we can make the difference. We're to be the adders of value to our society to prevent the bacterias. And that we also, the way we live our lives as salt, people should get thirsty for the life that you and I have. They should desire the water of life, which is Jesus. And we forget. You know, if you think about it, how quickly our society has been flipped upside down in the last 20 years. Maybe even the last 10, maybe in the last five Morally. And one of the great things that we know though. With God we can change this. Decay and stop it. It's interesting. Do you remember Abraham praying to God? For Sodom. Because his nephew. Lot. And his family were living in the midst of that filth. And he went to the Lord and said, Lord, will you save Sodom if were there just 40 people? 30 people? 20 people? 10 people? There weren't even 10 righteous people in that city. 
And God brought judgment and brought the house down. But we also know that if you have people who are committed to turning it around, the Church of Jesus Christ, we can turn it upside down. Robert Biela, who's a sociologist, he said, if you have 2% of the people wanting to make change, it can happen, culturally. Now, we've seen what certain movements of people have done to change our society and the moral thinking of people. And they're a very small group of people. In fact, they're intellectuals who think we're stupid and they can pull anything off. And here, we know that God can flip a society upside down. Think about it. How many disciples did Jesus pick? Twelve. And then it grew to seventy. And in Acts chapter 17, they're dragging one of the Christians out of his house because they're upset. And you know why they're shouting and upset? These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. This small group of people in the power of the Holy Spirit turned the world upside down. They were an insignificant group of people. They're like soup. You pour the salt in, it dis disappears. But when you taste it, boy, it's changed it real well. And that's us. We're the ones who have changed this world, whether it's in a classroom, in a neighborhood, in a company, no matter where it is. We're the ones that are making the changes. But Jesus then says, but if the salt has lost its taste, there's a problem. And it happens because we let the impurities back into our lives and in the church. And it's easy to fall back into the rut of the world. And it's so easy for us not to think how Important. This is that song we just sang. I cannot sing. People need the Lord without crying. Because all my friends that I see and what they're living for and what they don't know about Jesus, it breaks my heart. And sometimes I think about myself and I think, what are you spending all your time with this frivolous stuff when there are people who are dying and going to hell? We need to have that vision to see the way God sees it. I was reading about Steve Jobs, who was Apple Computer. And he was looking for this fella, John Scully, who was the CEO for PepsiCo. And he wanted him because he saw he was the best in the nation to drive a big corporation. And Jobs went and spoke to him and said, look... This is the deal. And he put it down on the floor for him. He says, do you want to spend the rest of your life 
selling sugar water? Or do you want to spend the rest of your life bringing about change in this world? Look what Apple's done to us. How it's changed our lives. How we have all our phones peeking up. Apple. You see, this is what Jesus is saying to us. You are the salt. You are the ones who have to come into society and I'm using you to preserve it. And you know salt has two properties in it and they both by themselves are dangerous. But when God put them together, they make a powerful, wonderful thing. Cleansing, healing, all those things that they do. One of the things that's easy for us to be lost is the impurities. See, salt by itself will not deteriorate. But when it has the impurities, it will. And what they find with salt is there was a fellow who did a study on the value of salt. And they found once the salt got disconnected from the rock from which they went, it lost its saltiness. When it had impurities, it would lose its saltiness. That's what we have to be careful of. Because as Jesus asked the question, how shall it retain its saltiness again? How shall it be restored? Two things. Cut out the impurities in your life. And stay connected to the rock. Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus kind of gives us a pretty good summary about that. He says to us, because otherwise it's not good for anything. And you might as well just throw it on the road. And it's for the road that leads to destruction. And that's why Jesus says you're the salt. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues through this message to take us up another level. And he says to us, you are the light. You are the light of the world. We're the ones that are the light that exposes things. People would rather walk in the darkness, Jesus has said. But we are the ones who bring the light and expose the world to what they're doing. And let me tell you, it's not a popular thing. <laughs> but Jesus says, the deep, dark secrets of God are going to be revealed to those who are in the light. But that we also are in a society to expose it. You see, the darkness loves to distort. It loves to hide evil. It loves to work. Why is so many burglaries in the dark? So that people can get around and stealth around and get into houses. It's because of the darkness. And you see, when the light exposes that, they're caught. The light illumines situations. It brings heat. I know on a cold day here when I'm leaving the office and the sun has been baking inside my car... Well, I like getting in that car because it's a little warm. It blocks the wind. And that's what the light does. The light penetrates a cold heart 
and turns it on and brings glory to God. You may not even know what your light has done. I had two ladies pull my sister over at church two weeks ago. And they said to her, you need to ask your brother if he remembers this lady's name. Here she was, she was working on a hotline for people who were considering abortion in a right to life group. And they were coming off the, the early shift, which was like six to nine o'clock at night, and she was gonna take the night shift. And at first I could not remember for nothing. And then it realized this lady, we met her on the streets with our God squad. We'd go into bars and parks and we talked to people about Jesus. And let me tell you, she gave us a run for our money about all the obstacles she had towards Jesus and how wrong it was what we were doing and all this kind of stuff. And lo and behold, she had come to know Christ. And she now was working, helping girls who, like herself, went through the struggle of two pregnancies that were unwanted, but because her heart was moved by God and the people that influenced she did not abort the one. She kept it. And oh, she's so glad she kept it. But it was because she got changed by Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus wants us to be the light. To be the brightness in people's life. Paul says it so well. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we who are of unveiled faces all reflect the glory of God. Are being transformed into the likeness with increasing, ever increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. People see it in you when you're growing in the Lord in the sanctification process and the Holy Spirit taking you through those difficult times and through those hard times and difficulties of life. And as you grow in Jesus, they see it. They see the illumination in your heart. And it reflects through your face. We show the glory of God. We reflect it. It's like the little boy who was in church one day and his church had beautiful stained windows. And it was a sunny day. And he pulls on his mom as they're sitting in the pew and he says, Mom, who are those people? She says, well, they're saints from the past. He said, He said, so those are the people who let the light shine through them. That's what we're to be. We're to be the light. We're to be the living sermon, Jesus is saying here. And today, I want to encourage you to make a commitment in your heart to the Lord that you're willing to be the salt, that you want to be the light that Jesus is calling us to do. And to expose the darkness. And to open up that door.
for people's lives who are trapped in the darkness. You see, he says, it's a city set on the hill, cannot be hidden. We can't hide this. We can't put it under a basket to hide it. We need to be willing to expose the world to the light, to bring the salt. There's a professor from the University of Toronto, Jordan Peterson, I think it is, and I don't even know if he's a Christian. Some of the things I've heard, he's head of the Department of Psychology, but very well known. And he said in an interview, I will not give in to the delusion of the thee and the they and the them and all that. He said, that's people inviting me into the delusion and that's not right. They need to know reality. He says, we even call it In psychology, delusion, dysphoria. Because it's the mind saying that you are when you're really not. And that's wrong. And because of it, YouTube has taken off his, right off the internet. People who stand up to this stuff pay the price but it doesn't matter what matters is that we're faithful to God and that we stand and that we don't back down to sin the Bible says that the light shines in darkness but the darkness does not understand it the word there means really in, in, in the translation is to overpower it. The darkness can't overtake the light. The light overtakes the darkness. And that's who we are. And we need to let our light shine before men and women in our society today. And let me tell you something. It's, there's we're, we're number one. As salt and light, we restrain evil. Now realize you will be persecuted like this professor and like many others. You'll be called all kinds of names. But the best part of it, it's leading to people to come to know Christ and being saved. That's our goal. And the most important thing in doing all this, folks, I'll take is that you do it for the glory of God. Not for yourself. Because let me tell you something. You will be kind and you do good works for people. And you will get discouraged if you're doing it for any other reason but for the glory of God. Because you know why? Some of them don't appreciate it. Believe me. You can give them something today and tomorrow the same. What have you done for me lately? They'll say things that are not right. And that's why Jesus says, 
In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and what? Glorify God. When you do it for the glory of God, no matter what they do or how they treat what the goodness and kindness you've given to them, it doesn't matter. Paul says it so well at the end of the chapter on resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 5, 58, he talks about this first very thing. And then he says at the end of that verse, Because you know that what you did, being for the glory of God, is never in vain. Never. God sees it. It doesn't matter if they accept it, if they accept Christ, and, or they reject you and say, why didn't you give me more? I've had that before. I'll give them a, 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 a gift certificate on my own pocket. Twenty-five. Oh, is that all there is? Hmm. Now I could be real ticked about that. But guess what? You know why? Because I gave it to Jesus. Saw a news clip this week of a young man in Cincinnati who owns a gym. And there was a guy who was homeless living in a car in the back of his gym that was broken down and burned out and the guy was living in it, sleeping. Teenage boy. He took that young man in and they interviewed him. He said, yeah, he's disappointed me several times. But you know what's held that guy? Keep on loving that guy? Because it's for the glory of God. Without any hitches, doing it for the glory of God. And that's what we need to be. That's who we need to be, folks. We need to be the salt and the light. And some people may laugh about it. But pray when they laugh about you or at you. That someday that laughter will be turned into joy with Jesus. And that you were part of the plank that led them to Christ. Eighth grade boys at camp, summer camp. Oh, they loved to pull pranks on each other. But they also were assigned a man, a young boy, their age, was mentally retarded, struggled physically. And it was their turn to lead the breakfast devotional by praying and starting the meal off with a prayer. <laughs> and they thought it would be funny to take this retarded boy and get him to do it. And he did. As he basically worked his way through his physical, basically handicapped, to the microphone. And the leader said, okay, you're going to pray for us. And he started to. And he started with, 
God, I, I, I want thank you for my friends here. I want to thank you for Jesus. And for this food, I love you, Jesus. Amen. There was not a dry eye in the house. And those eight boys who put him up to that were broken to their heart by the Holy Spirit because here was a young boy who had not much capability but whatever he had he brought it to Jesus Those young men that he cabined with, each one of them gave their life to Christ that week. Two of them are ministers. And the rest have other, but are all involved in church. And walk with Jesus. Why? Because that little boy was willing to be the salt and the light. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you today for the tremendous call that you've given each one of us in this room. Help us, Lord, to rely on you. Help us, Lord, to do it for your glory. And help us, Lord, as we fulfill your commission to this world. I pray for these folks today. You know their circumstances. You know their situations. You know the people they're involved with. Help them as they live out your will of being the salt and the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we receive our benediction and sing, Love Lifted Me. And now God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Shine in your hearts to bring the glory of Jesus Christ to the world. Amen. Love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me, when nothing else could help. Love lifted me.